Good morning. Poland hit by a Ukrainian missile as a U.S. general says the war has become a stalemate. A new right-wing government in Israel, the House goes to the GOP, the Defense of Marriage Act advances, and voters legalize magic mushrooms in Colorado. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Thursday morning, November 17, 2022. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin became the latest U.S. official to back Poland's preliminary conclusion that a fatal missile strike in Poland didn't appear to be intentional and was probably launched by air defenses in neighboring Ukraine. Yesterday, we saw reports of a deadly explosion in Poland near its border with Ukraine. And whatever the final conclusions may be, the world knows that Russia bears ultimate responsibility for this incident. Russia launched another barrage of missiles against Ukraine, specifically intended to target Ukraine's civilian infrastructure. This tragic and troubling incident is yet another reminder of the recklessness of Russia's war of choice. Poland's president, Andrzej Duda, says there's nothing, absolutely nothing, to suggest that it was an intentional attack on Poland. Nevertheless, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky disputed the finding. He told reporters he had no doubts about a report from his top commanders that it wasn't our missile or our missile strike. On Tuesday, Russia launched its biggest wave of missile attacks on Ukrainian cities in more than a month. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, added the war has reached a point where Russia is entrenched in Ukraine until the Kremlin decides to leave. We will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes to keep them free, sovereign, independent, with their territory intact. Kicking the Russians physically out of Ukraine is a very difficult task. And it's not going to happen the next couple of weeks unless the Russian army completely collapses, which is unlikely. So in terms of probability, uh, the probability of a Ukrainian military victory defined as kicking the Russians out of all of Ukraine, to include what they define or what they claim as Crimea, to the probability of that happening anytime soon is not high, militarily. Politically, there may be a political solution where politically the Russians withdraw. That's possible. All I'm saying is there's a possibility for it. That's all I'm saying. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, The comments came after a meeting of the 30-member NATO alliance in Brussels. And former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu received an official mandate on Sunday to form a new government. He pledged he would seek national consensus after an election in which Jewish far-rightists surged. After an 18-month hiatus, Netanyahu replaced an alliance of centrist liberal nationalists and Arab politicians. The incoming government is the most right-wing in Israel's history, encompassing the ultra-nationalist religious Zionism party, whose leaders oppose Palestinian statehood, want the occupied West Bank annexed, and were anti-LGBT rights. A former writer for the progressive Jewish magazine Tikkun is blogger Richard Silverstein. He says the new government is not only conservative, but crooked. Well, not just that we have the most right-wing government in the history of Israel, we have the most corrupt government as well, because four of the incoming senior ministers are either convicted of or accused of corruption or terrorism. So Netanyahu uh, stands accused of four counts of corruption. 
uh, Bezalel Smotrich, uh, one of the radical right-wing ministers, is accused of an act of terrorism. Uh, another minister, Arye Deri, is accused twice, actually convicted of tax evasion and corruption. And uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, who's the most senior right-wing politician in the incoming government, has been convicted 50 times of inciting terrorism. So there you have it, a rogues gallery of members of the new, uh, of the new cabinet. You left uh, a thief, you just described a thieves' den, and not only that, uh, poisoned by hateful right-wing abuse of politics. What? How? How will that play out in the next few weeks? What should we we be looking for? A couple of important things happening in Israel based on the new government. First, it will basically dismantle the Israeli judiciary. So the rule of law goes out the window. The way it will do that is it will pass a law saying that it will. It is able to override any judicial ruling. Even more important, the four counts of corruption that Netanyahu being accused of, that investigation will end. So our reference today, there'll be another intifada. It's just a matter of time, days maybe, before it breaks out. It could go on for years. There already is a major Palestinian insurrection since last March. The whole world's a giant tinderbox with all the big powers at at war It's or near war, and then you you go to the Middle East, which is one of the key tinderboxes of the whole world, and all the little countries there that are all allied, a la World War One, to all these big powers. You don't even know who the alliances are, ratcheting it up to a big fight for control of the region. Not yeah. only do you have these little states you mentioned, um, you know, the Gulf states allied with Israel, and the Syrians allied with Iran and Russia. Um, you have uh, basically these little states are proxies for much larger states. So the U.S. Right. Israel is a proxy for the U.S. Syria is a proxy for Iran and Russia. So if one of these small entities provokes a war with any of the others, then the larger states, as you mentioned, the World War One is a it's an apt comparison. All they need to have is a assassination, like right. provoke that war, right. and then all the uh, other more powerful states will come in, and that's what uh, could happen here. But if I could go in a slightly yeah. different direction, sure. I think uh, even more likely in the short term is that uh, the U.S. is going to start an FBI investigation of the murder of Shirin Abu Akleh, the Palestinian journalist who was murdered by Israel, who's a U.S. citizen. That's going to exert a lot of pressure on Israel. And its defense minister basically called it a grave error on the part of the U.S. and said, stop interfering in our internal affairs. Target, is that what they're saying, that she was actually targeted for some sort of assassination? Well, it's possible that it was a targeted assassination, but what we do know is that an Israeli sniper deliberately targeted her. Possibly it was a message to the media that's covering the conflict that the Israeli army no longer wants to have foreign journals able to cover it. She was a U.S. citizen, so at first the Biden administration didn't want to have anything to do with the case. But U.S. Senators Patrick Leahy, Chris Van Hollen from Maryland, and uh, they got uh, 30 or 40 of their colleagues to write a stern letter to uh, the Biden administration demanding action. And that's why the FBI investigation has been started. If it weren't for those Democrats, Biden would have uh, filed it away 
in a drawer where it would have gathered dust. But thankfully, somebody in the Senate wants some accountability. Richard Silverstein, a writer, formerly with the progressive Jewish magazine Takun, he's now a blogger at richardsilverstein.com. In national news, it's official. The Associated Press called the GOP's key 218th seat Wednesday evening in the House of Representatives, more than a week after Election Day. The Republican Party has officially regained control of the House of Representatives. But losses in key districts put a damper on GOP spirits, turning the projected red wave Republicans hoped for on election night into a red ripple. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell fended off the most serious threat to his position to date when he defeated National Republican Senatorial Committee Chairman Rick Scott in the GOP leadership vote. McConnell welcomed the win. At first, I don't own this job. Uh, anybody who wants to uh, run for it can feel free to do so. And um, so I'm not in any way offended by having an opponent or having a few uh, votes in opposition. Um, as everyone has said, uh, we had a good opportunity to discuss the various differences. Uh, people had a chance to listen to both candidates. And um, I'm pretty proud of uh, 37 to 10. McConnell also faces the continued threat to his leadership posed by former President Donald Trump, who fueled Scott's challenge by repeatedly calling for McConnell's ouster. Trump has announced he's running for the GOP nomination in 2024, but Republicans' response has been lukewarm, opening the door to challenges by Republicans like Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. McConnell acknowledged the conflict on Wednesday. I don't have uh, a dog in that fight. I think it's going to be a highly contested uh, nomination fight with other candidates entering. And it's all going to be quite good for you all to cover. How do you think it will impact the, your runoff in Georgia? Do you want former President Trump to come to Georgia? We're going to do everything we can to, uh, to, to get Herschel Walker elected. We can't pretty well determine who's going to come in. Uh, we'll see how that develops. Yeah. Minority leader Mitch McConnell. Trump's 2024 White House bid puts a spotlight on President Biden, who hasn't yet officially announced he'll seek another term. Another takeaway from last week's elections, some voters are ready to legalize magic mushrooms. Colorado has become the second state to decriminalize and legalize recreational psychedelics, joining Oregon. Voters passed a ballot initiative making it legal for adults to purchase and use dimethyltryptamine, known as DMT, ibogaine, mescaline, excluding peyote, and psilocybin. Nearly 1.2 million voters, roughly 53% of the total vote, approved Proposition 122. Currently, Oregon is the only other state to legalize psychedelics. Starting next year, Oregon residents can use psilocybin at licensed service centers, but not at home. Legalization comes as researchers at top universities across the country have been reporting remarkable results from treatments using psilocybin, the active ingredient of magic mushrooms, and other psychedelics. A researcher with the Center for Psychedelic Drug Research and Education at Ohio State University is Dr. Adam Levine. He says the scientific community has hope for powerful new treatments. As a psychiatrist, I see patients who are struggling, who running out of options. And so anytime there's a really compelling treatment, there's a lot of hope within the scientific community. There's different classes of these drugs. There's sort of the classic psychedelics, which work through the serotonin system on the serotonin 2A receptor, and that would include psilocybin uh, and LSD. 
Then there are drugs, you know, MDMA, which work on you know, completely different systems. They, they work through serotonin, but also norepinephrine and dopamine. And then there's drugs like Ibogaine, which we don't really know how the drugs work. We don't, we're not really 100% sure. As far as the classic psychedelics, they work through this serotonin 2A receptor system, and they seem part of what happens, and this is kind of supported by the research, they reliably induce experiences in the setting of psychotherapy and with a lot of preparation and support. They can reliably induce these extremely insightful, powerful experiences of connection, psychological insight, and mystical, what's called mystical type experiences. And it seems like the strength of these experiences, so how high these ratings of insight and mystical experience actually correlate with outcomes. These drugs seem capable of inducing these types of experiences, and then those ratings of those experiences are correlated with outcomes from things like addiction to depression. A lot of the question currently in the field is whether it's the kind of biological action of the drugs or the experiences that are being supported in psychotherapy and integration after the experience. Should theologians be happy or scared? That's a question that I'm really interested to see unfold. There's ongoing studies at Johns Hopkins and NYU where they've actually recruited people from different religious traditions, had these people go through the protocols using psilocybin. They give it to people and, and your brain actually starts to, it's like food for your brain cells. A lot of that is still kind of being investigated. I think there is evidence for not necessarily neuronal growth, but stimulating a lot of connections between neurons, stimulating new connections, stimulating dendrites, which are parts of neurons to grow. And so there's a lot of thought that you know, that actually might be occurring and that you might actually get that even without the psychedelic experience, that you could remove the experience from the drug somehow pharmacologically and still induce these positive neuronal changes, positive changes and have benefits for mental health. I began, I've been following this for years yeah. and it fascinates me because here is a drug that has a very powerful psychedelic effect and apparently a very powerful effect on people who are addicted to heroin and mm -hmm. other drugs. Again, mm -hmm. what, like you were saying earlier, how does it work? How, why does it work? The fascinating part about Ibogaine is that it seems to actually prevent withdrawal or to reduce withdrawal, which is like a physiologic effect. That is really interesting, and I'm not sure we know how that works at this point. With Ibogaine, it has more dangers physiologically than other psychedelics. It can cause, although this is still up in the air, it can cause kind of arrhythmia, so people have to be closely monitored. It lasts for a long time. The goal, or part of the goal, would be to try to understand how it works and maybe try to shorten the effects or make the effects more tolerable. But it is a fascinating molecule. There are people who have you know, mm -hmm. recovered from opioid use disorder and have gone to other countries and gotten those treatments. What do you think the effect of the, the changes in these laws? Is it going to make it easier or does it matter as far as research? And Psilocybin, MDMA, LSD are still Schedule One federally, which makes them really, really difficult to study. The hope would be within the next few years, if psilocybin um, or MDMA, whichever one, is approved, 
the federal government would then be required to reschedule the drug because it would then have a medical use. Dr. Adam Levine is a researcher with the Center for Psychedelic Drug Research and Education at Ohio State University. Clinical studies using mushrooms to treat veterans of PTSD and using Ibogaine and LSD to treat addiction and alcoholism are also underway, and the once-stigmatized drugs are getting serious new look in the treatment of depression. You're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In more national news, the Respect for Marriage Act, a bill codifying protections for same-sex and interracial marriage, cleared a major procedural hurdle Wednesday after getting support from Senate Republicans. Arizona Democrat Kirsten Sinema touted the bill as an example of bipartisan lawmakers finding common ground. Some wanted us to run a partisan campaign, convinced that highlighting the divides in our community and focusing exclusively on the LGBTQ community would put us over the top. But I knew we couldn't do this just by talking amongst people who already agreed with our position. The polling showed it. And frankly, we felt that in order to do right by our friends, our neighbors, and our fellow members of the community in Arizona, we had to do more than run a campaign that made our core supporters feel good, but ultimately didn't build the broad-based coalition of Arizonans needed to win. That's why we expanded the conversation to include how the proposition would harm all unmarried couples across Arizona, not just those in the LGBTQ community, people in domestic partnerships, people in common law marriages. Because here's the truth. When we reach beyond partisan talking points to find common ground, we expand what's possible in Arizona and in our country. Arizona Democrat Kirsten Sinema. Republican Ron Portman of Ohio joined a dozen Republicans who supported the bill. He says the law is necessary to protect marriage in a modern and diverse country and fears it would upend traditional marriage are unfounded. Some cases they're talking about things that this bill simply doesn't do. It does not require any state to perform same-sex marriages if it chooses not to in the event that the current Supreme Court case, let's say, is overturned. It just doesn't do that. It does not require anything not already required by Supreme Court precedent. It certainly does not allow polygamy. This is a point that has been raised by some of my colleagues on my side of the aisle. Polygamy is illegal in every jurisdiction in the United States, and this bill does nothing to change that, but it actually adds another provision in our amendment we'll talk about in a second that explicitly prohibits polygamy. The bill does not permit lawsuits against individuals or entities acting in a purely private capacity, and that's important. As you can see, the bill is really very narrow. It's constitutional, and it does not infringe on state sovereignty. It's a bill that simply ensures, as a matter of statutory law, that interracial and same-sex marriages that were legal in the state in which they were performed will be recognized if the couple moves to a different state. Republican Senator Ron Portman of Ohio, if the amended bill passes the Senate, it'll go back to the House for another vote. If it clears both chambers, the bill heads to President Biden's desk. The law was passed in the House during the summer after Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas signaled that same-sex marriage could be under threat in the court. After calling him a man motivated by evil, Wisconsin Circuit Court Judge Jennifer Darrow sentenced Darrell Brooks Jr. to spend multiple lifetimes in prison for killing six people and injuring dozens of others when he plowed his SUV through a Christmas parade last year. Frankly, Mr. Brooks, no one is safe from you. This community can only be safe if you are behind bars for the rest of your life. I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you refuse to sit down, then you are in direct disobedience of a court order. Sit that, down 
and be quiet so I can make the appropriate can record. You, can you tell me what the, um, the court right, order he's is? He's not going to obey. He's now forfeiting I did, I his right to be present. He will go into the I other courtroom. I didn't say I wasn't going to obey. We'll be I in just recess asked, until the he's order? there. I just asked what is the Brooks was convicted last month of six counts of first-degree intentional homicide and about 70 additional charges. Darrow said testimony at the trial showed Brooks struck 69 people with his vehicle that day. Before his sentencing, Brooks offered an apology in a rambling two-hour statement during which Brooks often portrayed himself as a victim. He said the attack on the parade wasn't planned or plotted, and family members testified Brooks suffered from mental illness since he was at least 12 years old. In more national news, Karen Bass, a veteran Democratic congresswoman, on Wednesday became the first woman elected as mayor of Los Angeles. Bass survived the bruising contest against Rick Caruso, a billionaire real estate developer that had remained too close to call for more than a week after the election. Caruso had pumped roughly $100 million into his campaign as a law and order candidate. Bass has said that as mayor, she'll declare a state of emergency on homelessness and find housing for 17,000 homeless people in her first year. Closer to home, Mayor Eric Adams unveiled a raft of new bills yesterday expanding protection for victims of domestic violence and launching a campaign against an upsurge in rats in the city. Uh, this is a public safety issue that impacts us all. We have sacred duty, a sacred duty to protect all New Yorkers and survivors of domestic and gender-based violence. And that is exactly what we are doing with these two bills, uh, intro 153-A and intro 154-A. Uh, we we're also looking at uh, diversifying and ensuring the proper diversity in the New in FDNY, New York City uh, Fire Department. Uh, our FDNY brothers and sisters are our frontline heroes. And today, we are going to ensure that they are uh, reflective of the city and its population. They are here for us from 9-11 to COVID-19 to day-to-day -day life. <clears throat> our FDNY officers are there to protect and serve our city. The, they answer the higher calling and serve with courage, bravery, and selflessness. And they reflect the communities they serve. And we're going to push further to ensure that they continue to reflect the communities that they serve. Everyone knows I hate rats. And we're making it clear that rats do not run the city. We do. It's going to create uh, rat mitigation zones and require buildings that receive violation to place their trash in a rodent-proof container. Uh, so I'm, all of these bills are really our way of continuing to improve the quality of life and protect New Yorkers. But not everybody's happy with the mayor's proposed legislation. This week, hundreds of people crashed at the Department of Buildings meeting to draw attention to a proposal by Adams to gut an environmental law. Local Law 97 puts a cap on carbon pollution from buildings, the city's largest source of greenhouse gas. But the draft rules from Adams' administration include loopholes to allow wealthy building owners to opt out of necessary retrofits. The law requires most buildings over 25,000 square feet to meet new higher energy efficiency standards and emissions limits by 2024. By 2030, New York City's covered buildings must collectively reduce carbon emissions by 40% and by 80% in 2050.
And that's the news for Thursday morning, November 17, 2022. The news is produced and written by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>